0: your daily dose of debate, breaking news, and uncensored views. This is The Michael
1: Medved Show.
2: And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. Is it a great day for America? Well, sure. Uh, We are moving forward with our political process. Uh, A lot of people are saying that the Republican race for the nomination for President of the United States is over. Uh, Nikki Haley says, no, it's not. She's going to continue to run against Donald Trump. And uh, there are lots and lots of things that are happening between now and even uh, between now and uh, March 5th, which is uh, the Super Tuesday. Uh, That is a day of 16 uh, primary elections. And one of the things that's interesting about it, is most of those big primary elections have what they had in new hampshire which is the ability of independent voters who aren't registered as republicans to choose to vote in the republican primary Uh, last night was not a crushing landslide against nikki haley for donald trump it was a decisive but underwhelming victory that's the way i've i've described it Uh, and by the way if you go to our substack, I I have posted a piece uh, about New Hampshire in context. And the context is that uh, Churchill is famous for saying, and this is a real Churchill quote, not, not the made-up Churchill quote that uh, Ron DeSantis used in his uh, farewell announcement, his announcement withdrawing his candidacy. Uh, there's been a lot of... Uh, People, the International Churchill Society, have said, no, no, Churchill never said this. It was uh, about uh, courage. Now, he did say lots of things about courage, but not the quote that was used by Ron DeSantis. Uh, Ron DeSantis is also uh, been talking about some of the problems for Trump's uh, campaign. That were revealed uh, not just by the voting last night, but by the exit polls. There is one stunning exit poll that was done by Fox News, uh, Fox News voter analysis. and uh, it, it's it indicates why people who are saying, well, this shows that uh, Donald Trump is embraced by everybody who's a Republican, and everybody who's a Republican is going to be solid behind Trump, and uh, the Republicans are all going to come together. Okay, here's the exit poll. And uh, they asked, how would you feel if Trump wins the nomination? And, And by the way, of course, it remains overwhelmingly likely that Trump will win the nomination. It was likely yesterday. It's a little bit more likely today. But this question, how would you feel if Trump wins the nomination? and satisfied uh, 53% of the New Hampshire Republicans, the Republicans who voted last night yesterday and whose votes were counted. 53% said, I would be satisfied. Uh, 11% said, I would be dissatisfied, but I'd still vote for Trump. And 35% of Republicans who voted last night said that if trump wins the nomination i wouldn't vote for him okay what that means is there is no chance at victory uh now why not what are the problems that are going to run into the trump campaign particularly the legal problems we'll be speaking to andy mccarthy about that coming up he is uh, of course with national review a former federal prosecutor very distinguished legendary federal prosecutor We'll also be speaking uh, to David Frum about the uh, future of the Republican Party and whether this race is indeed over. And then uh, to David Drucker of uh, the uh, Dispatch, who is on the ground in various uh, states that are going to be important. The uh, primary coming up in South Carolina which everybody is looking at very closely, that primary is actually due on February 24th. So we're talking about just about a month from now. And uh, what does that primary show? It shows uh, an overwhelming lead for President Trump, much higher than his lead last night. One of the things that I think that is important to take a look at is that Uh, For people who say that this was a disaster for Nikki Haley, she actually – and partially it was because Ron DeSantis had dropped out of the race and because Chris Christie had dropped out of the race and uh, basically it was just her and Trump. But still, she more than doubled the percentage of the vote she got in Iowa. In Iowa, she got 19 percent of the vote. Here in New Hampshire, she got 43 or 44% of the vote. They're still finalizing uh, the uh, amount, uh, the percentage of the vote that she got and how the votes came in. And, and Trump, uh, Trump got 51% of the vote in the Iowa caucuses. And uh, a lot of that was with a very low turnout. And uh, and that's what uh, Ron DeSantis commented on. He said that uh, uh, President Trump should be looking at these turnouts because there may be an enthusiasm gap and she and should be concerned about it for the general election. Okay, Trump got 51% of the vote in the Iowa caucuses, and uh, he got last night 55% of the votes in New Hampshire. but. The, the idea that that is a move in the right direction uh, for Trump is sort of the argument against that is he had only one real opponent here. And in the Iowa caucuses, during most of that campaigning, there were very active campaigns for Vivek Ramaswamy, who got 8%. Uh, and uh, you had uh, 22%, 23% that was won by Ron DeSantis in the Iowa caucuses so in this race with only one opponent he went up from 51% to 55% and you say well so what 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 it shows is that this idea that the everyone in the republican party Uh, wants Donald Trump to be the uh, candidate for president because he has such a great chance to win for president of the United States. The uh, polling which was going to continue here still has one area that it hasn't fully assimilated or taken uh, seriously and that area is President Trump's dates in the courtroom. I mean, we've seen during his campaigning in New Hampshire. It was campaigning one day and showing up in court the next day to hear all kinds of bad news. Uh, the potential that uh, the Eugene Carroll case is going to not only establish uh, Trump's liability uh, for having committed sexual assault some years ago. That's what the uh, decision that was made, now the question is how much is he going to pay for defamation? But then there is the much more serious case about uh, January 6th. The, the, the fact is that the overwhelming numbers of Republicans, about 60%, and that's what the exit polls show from last night as well, believe that Trump actually did win the election of uh, the of 2020 and that the election was stolen, that Joe Biden is not a legitimate president. But that is a majority of Republicans. There are virtually no independents and no Democrats who believe that. And as long as that continues to be an issue, as long as the uh, the charges against him continue to unfold, there are more uh, indications in the exit polling that if uh, – if Trump is the nominee and he has been convicted of any of the charges and they're 91 against him, well, what would happen? Uh, we will get to that because that's an important part. We'll also be speaking to Andy McCarthy coming up. That and more. And on The Michael Medved Show, I was uh, speaking about some of the uh, grim news. And it is grim. It should be alarming for anybody who is uh, committed to the idea of a Trump nomination as the GOP candidate for president. Because what... the exit polling shows and it's not just exit polling by cbs or cnn fox which has its own exit polling uh shows the same kind of phenomenon which is that uh there is a very strong percentage of people who uh are would not be content with uh, trump winning the nomination And wouldn't vote for him, they say at this point. And uh, aside from that, there's another question that they asked in the uh, general exit polls for both the Iowa caucuses last week and for yesterday's New Hampshire primary. They asked the same question, which is, uh, if uh, President Trump is found uh, guilty of a criminal offense— Uh, would he be fit to be president. And what's stunning is that of the people who participated in the uh, Republican primary in New Hampshire last night, 47%, in other words, very nearly half, said that if Trump is found guilty of anything, uh, he is unfit to serve as president. And by the way, in Iowa, where, where Trump... Uh, had a bigger victory because he had more candidates running against him. Uh, He had 51% that he got in Iowa against the different candidates running against him. But among the people who participated in the Iowa caucuses, and remember, that's all Republicans. They didn't have the ability to come in as an independent or an unaligned, unaffiliated, or a Democrat to come in and participate in the Iowa caucuses. And Of those people who came into the Iowa caucuses and voted in the Republican side, a third of them, a third, 33 percent, said that if Trump is convicted of anything, then he is unfit to be president. And uh, then again, along the same lines, and this is something Steve Ducey talked about on Fox and Friends this morning. Uh, the question they asked New Hampshire Republicans is, how would you feel if Trump wins the nomination? And uh, 53% said they would be satisfied. So it's, it's very similar to the percentage of people who actually personally voted for Trump. And that's 53%. He got 55% who voted for him. 53% would be satisfied. But 35%. Uh, said that they would not vote for him. And another 11% said they would be dissatisfied but still vote for Trump. Uh, And and one of the things that they, they bring out in media, and I think it's true, is while Trump predictably called it a huge victory and signaled to his surrogates to call for Haley to drop out, the margin of victory isn't that big. And the voter analysis from Fox News suggests deeper problems for Trump's viability in a general election. Uh, Steve Ducey reported the results of the polling data on Fox & Friends Wednesday morning. He noted that 62% of unaffiliated voters in New Hampshire went for Nikki Haley, while 83% of very conservative primary voters in the state went for Donald Trump. But here's the rub, Ducey said. Uh, Noting how a lot of major publications today are talking about this, he then posed the question asked of pollsters, uh, how would you feel if Trump wins the nomination? It turns out that only 53% of Republicans said they'd be very satisfied. And here's the problem for the former president. According to our voter analysis, 35% of Republicans said they would not vote for Donald Trump. He added that a uh, Politico article reported that 43% of Nikki Haley voters yesterday said they would vote for Joe Biden. And uh, Ainsley Earhart said she pushed back. She said, well, 43% of the Nikki Haley voters are going to vote for Joe Biden, uh, but that still leaves a lot of voters voting for Trump. Yeah, but (laughs) if you are losing uh, 43% of the Nikki Haley voters, and again, in uh, New Hampshire, there were 44% of uh, people who actually voted for Nikki Haley. If you're losing half of those, that means you're losing a, a grand total of about 20% of Republican voters. And that's of Republican voters. You can't win an election with that. And... Uh, This is uh, one of the reasons that Nikki Haley emphasized last night in her concession statement, uh, which I think was very effective and gracious, and uh, set up the reason she is continuing with this campaign. Uh, She congratulated President Trump and indicated that the fight between them is just beginning. This is clip one.
1: I want to congratulate Donald Trump on his victory tonight. He earned it. And I want to acknowledge that. Now, you've all heard the chatter among the political class. They're falling all over themselves saying this race is over. Well, I have news for all of them New Hampshire is first in the nation, it is not the last in the nation. This race is far from over. There are dozens of states left to go. And the next one is my sweet state of South Carolina.
2: Okay, uh, she continues and talks about the fact that uh, President Trump's victory in uh, both uh, Iowa and New Hampshire, And he is the first candidate who is not an incumbent uh, president to win both Iowa and New Hampshire. Generally, it's split. One goes one way, the other goes the other way. Trump's won them both. But if you actually look at Trump's record as a leader of the Republican Party, there are a lot of losses, And here's what Nikki Haley says about that. This is clip two. With
1: Donald Trump, Republicans have lost almost every competitive election. We lost the Senate. We lost the House. We lost the White House. We lost in 2018. We lost in 2020. And we lost in 2022. The worst kept secret in politics is how badly the Democrats... Want to run against Donald Trump? Yes. Yes. A loser. He's a loser. They know Trump is the only Republican in the country who Joe Biden can defeat. You can't fix you can't fix the mess if you don't win an election. A Trump nomination is a Biden win and a Kamala Harris presidency.
2: <laughs> uh she she had sounded a little bit more like that during the lead-up to the New Hampshire primary might have given her the feeling. Uh, And on The Michael Medved Show, we are joined by Andy McCarthy, one of my favorite guests. He is a senior fellow at National Review Institute. He is a contributing editor at National Review, the uh, leading uh, conservative publication uh, by many accounts in the country. And he is also a former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, where he helped to put uh, terrorists in jail and to defend our country. Uh, there's breaking news, uh, Andy, uh, apparently just coming across the wire, that the trial of E. Jean Carroll's defamation lawsuit against Donald J. Trump has been postponed for another day and will resume uh, tomorrow, Thursday. That's what a uh, federal court announced uh, just a few moments ago. The court did not offer a reason for the additional delay, but the trial was originally postponed for a day after Judge Lewis Kaplan said in court that a juror had reported flu-like symptoms and would be getting a COVID test. Uh, So, uh, Andy McCarthy, uh, do you think that uh, they should have some resolution from this, uh, uh, what this new defamation lawsuit and some determination about how much more uh, Trump is supposed to be paying Eugene Carroll is that is that likely to come down the pike sometime before the weekend? I don't think,
0: Michael, that the the case will be done at this point by this week. I think it'll spill into next week, simply because. Um, assuming this juror returns uh, or the judge decides to press on without the juror, and I'll I'll come back to that if you'd like, Um, the big thing that has to happen is whether Trump testifies or not. Uh, If he does testify, I would expect that that would take uh, a lot of Thursday, and then you'd have summations by the lawyers. The judge would have to charge the jury. so. I mean, it's possible they could get done done by Friday if they get started tomorrow, Uh, but I I would think it's more likely that it's still over to Monday. The interesting thing is whether what's going on is simply what meets the eye, which is that a juror has fallen ill, and they're a little bit concerned that the juror may have exposed the other jurors, and they're just trying to assess uh, that – Uh, And everything will be fine and we'll all be back in business tomorrow. Or it could be that, you know, Judge Kaplan and and former President Trump have had a lot of tension between them as uh, as the trial has proceeded. Trump is trying to bait the judge into, uh, you know, potentially banning him from the courtroom, banning him from participation in the trial. Um, And it could be that Kaplan— who could have just gone ahead with this trial. The federal rules require six jurors. He's got nine, so he could actually dismiss this juror and go ahead. But I think Judge Kaplan is trying to make a record that he's giving Trump every opportunity to testify uh, if he chooses to testify. Uh, So we'll see what happens tomorrow morning. Uh,
2: And uh, again, uh, do you think it's a good decision politically, for President Trump to insist on testifying here, he does. He doesn't need to testify. He didn't need to be present in the court the the other day when he was there, uh, <laughs> uh, basically uh, making upstaging everybody else in the courtroom. Uh, is it a good idea for him to give such focus to this case?
0: Uh, I think now that he's kind of dug in on it, it probably is. One potential strategy would have been just to ignore it, like he did the last time. But I think ignoring it is largely why he lost the first trial, and why in this trial uh, he's he's basically the trial is only about damages because the judge ruled that the jury in the first trial made the binding decision regarding uh, whether there was sexual abuse. Uh, and whether Trump had defamed Carol. So uh, that jury found that he had done so, and the judge says this trial is only about damages. So I think from Trump's perspective, he's trying to accomplish two things. One is he wants to get his story out, which the judge is going to try to prevent him from getting out, that he didn't do anything wrong here. Uh, He's basically been told that's not an issue in the case, but I think he wants to say it anyway. He should have said it the first time. He wants to do it now. But more broadly, uh, he wants to make this argument that Democrats—and I should note that Judge Kaplan is a Clinton appointee from the mid-'90s— he wants to make this political argument that that, uh, Democrats are using the legal system as a political weapon against him— so I think the testimony and the the fact that he's been at the trial and participating in it uh, is intended to highlight that theme of his campaign.
2: And in terms of that theme of his campaign, I, I was very struck by the exit polling uh, in both uh, Iowa and in New Hampshire, which indicated that a... A very large proportion of the people who participated as Republicans in the Republican caucuses and the Republican primary uh, said that if uh, Trump were found guilty, if he were convicted of a crime, is the way they asked the question, if President Trump is uh, convicted of a crime, would he uh, be fit to be president? And uh, a third of the people in iowa said no and uh 47 percent of the people in new hampshire said no he wouldn't be fit to be president if he's convicted of something uh do you think there is a real chance that he gets convicted of something before the general election in november
0: oh i i think that um You'd have to say that there's uh, at least a 50-50 shot that he'd get convicted. I used to think, Michael, I think I've been wrong about this. I used to think that because the Justice Department, uh, and let me direct this to the two federal cases, um, the Justice Department purports to follow this unwritten guidance that it won't take action too close to an election because it doesn't want to be accused of influencing the outcome. And I thought that there might be a point in time in 2024 where Jack Smith and the Biden Justice Department thought it was too unseemly to go forward with the with one of these trials if it got postponed long enough. I now think that they've um, they are so committed to trying Trump and trying to get him convicted that even if the trial couldn't start until July or August, they would begin it. And we're talking about th- two to three months. Trials here, um, but I think they're pretty determined. And if that case in Washington were to get tried, uh, you know, it's a Washington jury, an Obama judge who seems to be hostile to Trump. There's a very high chance he'd get convicted of at least one count.
2: So uh, this is this is fascinating to me. Do you think that uh, this is going to break the pattern? Uh, the pattern has been the more legal trouble Trump has, the more support he gets, that uh, if you know, well, people follow through on what they're saying in exit polls, that, that would break that pattern, wouldn't it?
1: Well, it's,
0: it, if that is the pattern, I mean, my theory of the case has been from the beginning that what the the Democrats' plan was to galvanize Republican support for Trump in the primaries, with the understanding that eventually the cases get tried, the bad information comes out. They timed that so that it would happen in the election, in the campaign stretch run. So the dynamic of this was always going to be it was going to help Trump get nominated, and then it was going to kill him in the general election. I still think that holds. I also think the numbers, to to me, Michael, say that he's in trouble because this is not a normal— Primary, where you would say, you know, you have a bunch of unknown quantities who are trying to appeal to the electorate. This is a guy who's running as an incumbent and he's only getting 50% of the vote.
2: I, I, uh, Andy, can you uh, stay for a few more moments? Uh, look forward to it. We'll continue crucial conversation with Andy McCarthy about the future of the campaign, really, and its uh, connection with Trump's legal challenges. We'll be right back. Speaking to Andy McCarthy of the National Review, a veteran and very distinguished United States prosecutor for the Justice Department, the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. He uh, put the blind shake in prison and other terrorist figures. He uh, also writes with deeper knowledge and I think more perception and balanced view than anybody else about some of President Trump's legal challenges. And um, I was just uh, looking at the, uh, the, they've uh, published now a uh, full calendar uh, of uh, the legal proceedings against President Trump. And uh, what it indicates is he's going to be busy With these unfolding cases, uh, Thursday, January 25th, Friday, January 26th, Monday, January 29th, uh, Tuesday, January 30th. And these are cases literally all over the country. And uh, again, it's kind of going to make it more difficult for him to campaign if he continues to fight all of these cases, isn't it?
0: Yeah, well, particularly, Michael, with respect to the criminal cases, it's a requirement in federal criminal law and in the law of most states that a criminal defendant has to be present for every moment of the trial. Um, In fact, that's a condition of your release when you get out on bail that you make your court appearances. So if Jack Smith, (laughs) the prosecutor, had his druthers um, the the Washington trial of the uh, election interference indictment would start on March fourth, and the Florida trial of the Mar-a-Lago documents would start on May twentieth. Uh, they're both supposed to be two to three month trials, which means uh, former President Trump would be campaigning from inside the courtroom from the beginning of March through the end of July, or you know per- perhaps into August. So I don't think that's going to hold because it doesn't look like the um, The Mar-a-Lago documents case doesn't look like it's going to happen, uh, at least prior to Election Day, because of the classified information complications. The uh, March 4th Washington election interference case is going to be held up, I believe, not because of Trump's immunity claim, which is currently on appeal, but because the Supreme Court has taken... This term, a, uh, a case involving the use of the obstruction statute against some of the January 6th defendants. And depending on how they come out on that, that could profoundly affect Trump's trial. So I think Judge Tr- Chutkin will have to wait to see what the Supreme Court has to say about obstruction. That's not going to happen till the end of June. So I think that case could go later in the summer. Um, And it's possible that Alvin Bragg's case could go in March. That's the Manhattan District Attorney's business fraud case uh, against Trump, although nobody seems to be tripping over themselves uh, with the anxiousness to get that case to trial.
2: I mean, this is all so so enormously complicated. And and there's also the case with the Colorado Supreme Court, yeah. having decided to take Trump off the ballot. And now the Supreme Court has agreed to hear that, and I think the, the general assumption is that at least a, uh, a majority of the Supreme Court would overrule the decision of the Colorado Supreme Court. Uh, do you think that uh, uh, that is the likely outcome? Because there are other states that using the Section 3 of the 14th Amendment are anticipating uh, action to try to keep Trump's name off the ballot. Uh, What happens there?
0: Yeah, uh, the last time I looked at this, there was some action or other in about 33 states. So a lot of hinges on this. (laughs) Um, I think what we have to hope, Michael, is that the Supreme Court uh, addresses this broadly. Because what I'm a little bit afraid of, because they want to be very narrow here, and I think they want to get no more involved in the election politics than they have to be. I worry that if they are, if they decide it too narrowly, they could decide it for purposes of the primaries, but then we'd have a second wave of lawsuits with respect to the general election. So I hope they they decide. I don't think they're going to want to get into the fact issues like. Was there an insurrection, and did Trump participate in it? But I do think they should answer the question of, number one, does Section 3 of the 14th Amendment apply to the president? I think there's a good textual argument that it doesn't. And even if it does, then what what process is required for a finding of disqualification, and does that have to be promulgated by Congress, or can a state government do it? So there's a lot a lot involved in it.
2: And and I know that part of what President Trump does in response to all of this is to say this is all the work of Merrick Garland and the Justice Department, and uh, he's under orders from President Biden, who, of course, appointed him, who's uh, uh, the presiding uh, executive of the uh, United States. But with all of that, this colorado case there's no fingerprints there really there's no involvement of merrick garland at this point or of the justice department is there
0: no i think what what seems to have uh turbocharged this is some scholarship by a couple of conservative scholars
2: federalist Um, society guys yeah
0: yeah and it really got traction in in you know for for it to go from a, a theory To a bunch of litigation in less than a year is quite a thing for people who, you know, write about the law for a living. So,
2: And and when you say what you were afraid of and about them coming back to court on this, there's also a real possibility, isn't there, that the Supreme Court could uh, overrule Colorado, uh, the Supreme Court of Colorado, at the same time leaving the fields open for other states on other bases so you have a checkerboard pattern where trump is taken off the ballot in some states but not in all of them is that that,
0: that's why i say yeah that's why i say i i think they i hope they rule broadly and i think they could say something as simple michael as that um section five of the 14th amendment empowers congress to enact legislation to enforce the provisions of the 14th Amendment, they could simply say that, you know, to the extent Congress is, has done anything like that, it has enacted a criminal statute where you can be convicted of insurrection. And if you get convicted of insurrection in a proceeding in criminal court where you have all the protections of due process, then you can come back to us and say, let's disqualify this guy. But in less than Congress... Um, Uh, you know, put some kind of a process other than criminal conviction uh, into this, then I don't think it uh, it meets what ought to be constitutional due process standards to have some elected partisan Democrat who happens to be the Secretary of State say abracadabra Trump's off the ballot. I don't think that's anyone's idea of due process.
2: (laughs) No. Do do you think what... uh if you were advising uh republican leaders who are concerned not only about the presidential election but the effort by the republicans to take a majority in the senate where the calendar and the schedule and uh seems to favor republicans for taking back the senate Uh, there are real problems defending the house there are governorships up uh to what extent should the Republican Party try to establish some kind of independent identity that is far removed from all of these Trump legal challenges?
0: Yeah, I think that was something that should have been done a long time ago, but there was too much there was too much uh, what did they what did they call that with the economy? Irrational exuberance. There was too much irrational exuberance um, among Republicans. In early 2021, that Trump had so um, he, he, what he what happened in January 6, the Capitol riot and the events leading up to it were so outrageous that he was he was done as a political commodity, and they decided there was no reason to take him on because they didn't want to insult his base. And what happened was he wasn't nearly as as done as they thought he was, and now having not created the kind of distance I think you're prudently referring to here, Uh, what they're doing is exactly the opposite. They seem to be falling in line behind him.
2: It is an extraordinary moment. Uh, You can read Andy McCarthy. We've uh, posted some of his most recent commentary at our website at michaelmedved.com. And uh, Andy, keep it up. Your, Your voice is extraordinarily important and very much needed. Uh, not just by uh, conservatives and Republicans, but by everybody in this greatest nation on God's green earth.